Hey you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you could support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. Welcome to Warrior Show's Stream of Thought, covering Darling in the Franks. And now we're there. We're only two episodes remaining in this long, tortured fucking show. Before we're done. Before we're free. And, well, you know, when you get towards the end of a long marathon, sometimes you need a little bit of help. Sometimes you need someone just to be able to give you a push along the way. Or, or maybe, you know, if you're suffering through something, sometimes you like yourself, or I can't help myself get out of this. But I can certainly take people down with me, and that's what we're doing today. So, on my digital left is my usual colleague and stalwart companion, the subtle doctor. Rep the digital left. <laughs> And on my right, uh, someone who we freshly, you know, just kidnapped and bundled out of the car. I mean, he was completely blindfolded as well, gagged, doesn't know where he is. I'd, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the cast, Anime News Network's James Beckett. Uh, keep your goddamn politics out of my goddamn anime. <laughs> if only Darling and the Franks did that, though. What a shame. Yep. No, it's, a compl- it's a completely apolitical show. It has absolutely nothing to say about anything. Uh, it exists only... For waifus and uh, robots, so yep, it, it's it's a straight shooter, you know. Yeah. It goes right down the middle, totally neutral. That's honestly all I had to say. So I'll, I'll probably leave now because that's, <laughs> that's really. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put you back. We'll bundle you back in the van and let you know. Drop you off in the middle of nowhere. You know, we'll give you at least five dollars for a fair home. Well, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, we're nice like that here at Wari Desho. So yes, we have a very special guest on today in the tradition of, you know, we had Emily Randall previously and it's great to have James here on the cast today to talk shop about this show. Uh, before we go any further, James, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves to people who may not know who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, I am James Beckett. I'm a freelance writer. Pretty much all of my stuff right now is found on AnimeNewsNetwork.com. I cover uh, the Shelf Life column. I cover episodic streaming reviews, pretty much everything you can imagine. Uh, if it needs reviewing, I'll review it. And uh, one of the shows I've been reviewing for the past couple of seasons is the lovely Darling in the Franks, which has been an experience, <laughs> to say the yes. least. And um, I, I've, I've had the privilege, and I, I'm not being ironic, it really has been a privilege to uh, talk about this show, uh, disseminate my thoughts on it for the past 24 weeks, which is a little absurd to think oh. about, but yeah, that's been... I threw up a little in my <laughs> mouth then when you said that. I know. Yeah, it's just half a year. Who, you know, 
What's half a year between friends? Well, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> a lot of ways <laughs> Yeah, exactly. James, uh, for people who may not have read your work on Anime News Network, could you give us a brief summary of how you feel broadly about Darling in the Franks up until this point? That is a very complicated answer that I will do my best to be uh, succinct with. I think the comparison that I made in, in one of my recent reviews that I actually, the more I think about it, the more I think it really encapsulates my thoughts on this show, uh, is that of a, a Roland Emmerich movie. And for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm talking about like <laughs> Independence Day, um, The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Independence Day 2. <laughs> um, he, he's made a lot of films, but he's known for his big budget larger than life kind of incoherent disaster epics and i tend to divide his movies into good roland emmerich movies and bad roland emmerich movies so in the good column you have schlock that's enjoyable schlock i'm talking about like uh, independence day i think is the best example where yeah Mm -hmm. the 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 characters are mostly one note stereotypes and the whole movie exists primarily for the sake of spectacle and and you know kind of broad aggrandizing political statements but it, it comes together in a way that's kind of almost animalistically satisfying like when you see will smith and jeff goldblum being buddies and blowing up an alien ship you're like hell yeah absolutely 100 percent. it just works but then with the bad roland emmerich movie you have all of the same kind of gross politics one note characters barely coherent storytelling but it doesn't really come together it kind of falls apart at the seams and i feel that like, sounds familiar yeah and i feel like for the first 12 episodes of uh, its run, Darling in the Franks was a pretty good Roland Emmerich movie. You know, there wasn't a whole lot going on underneath the surface, but it was entertaining. It was fun. Uh, the characters were likable, even if they weren't that deep. And, you know, the kind of cheesy high school romance angle was enjoyable in its way. Um, the back half, though, has gotten a, a little messy Mm. And a little muddled. <laughs> and in the past couple of weeks, it's thrown a few curveballs that don't necessarily make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and it's really, I think, dragged the show down. I don't hate it. Um, a lot of people in the comments seem to think that my criticizing the show means that I hate it. And I hate everyone that watches it and finds any enjoyment out of it. No, I, I don't hate it at all. Well, d- so you might not have read. I'm going to pull out the... Rules of the internet contract, uh, right here, uh, clause four. You know, if you criticize a piece of media, you are a hater that hates it. That's true, and and I also hate everyone that likes it, and I I wish. Yep. Oh, yep. That's an yep subsection B. That's true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So no, I don't hate it. Uh, I just uh, at this point, I honestly think it's just a lot of wasted potential. um, I think is the best way to describe it. Just wasted potential. So could not agree more. Absolutely. Totally. I will say at the top of the cast, folks, for people who have been listening to, you know, myself and Doc, uh, slowly but surely, you know, unravel mentally as we try to comprehend this, you know, pretzel of a show. <laughs> if you actually like Darling in the Franks, that's good. That's great. I mean, I mentioned this before, I think it was in episode 14, but I think it's just worth restating very quickly that, you know what, if you like it, that's fine. Just please try to ignore, if at all possible, all of the show's, you know, political statements and viewpoints, if you can. <laughs> please like keep 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 it just you know thinking that zero two is a great waifu well, well that's what i just ask i just want to throw that out there. <clears throat> i just think it's funny that like 
both of you guys independently came to the conclusion that this was a bad Roland Emmerich movie. I said that on the previous cast us out, yeah, yeah. Yep, and I laughed out loud when I read that you wrote that this past week, James. That was that's just a case I think of of great minds thinking alike. Um. <laughs> well, the thing the thing is, James, like I literally compared Verm to the aliens from Independence Day, who yeah. you know can travel into space, but they're coming to a planet for its natural resources, which is kind of a contradiction in of itself. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we understand more about the aliens in Independence Day than we do about the aliens in Darling and the Franks, um, I think that says a lot about what the show isn't doing very well right now. Yeah, that's an excellent point. What the show isn't doing is having, you know, Will Smith punch a verm soldier in the face and going, now that's what I call a close encounter. Okay, look, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. If great. that happened at any great. point in the next two episodes, this entire show would be redeemed to get an A+. Yep, yep, agreed. Yep, I would. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Is that anime Will Smith's music? What? <laughs> that, that'd be dope. The, did the subtitles literally just read, Welcome to Earth with an F? <laughs> You reminded me of that amazing XCOM Let's Play I read once. Oh, man. Anyway, um, so, Doc, would you very kindly tell us about episode 22, Stargazers? Uh, indeed, indeed. So, uh, uh episode 22, um, was directed by Noriko Takao. And... I knew it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bloody... Like, the moment I started seeing certain things happening in this episode, I was like... I like the direction this. I know. Why is this familiar? I know. Is, what's going on? I was like, is it her? Right, well, that's three pints I owe her now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, she she directed and storyboarded the the last episode that I remember truly, truly loving, uh, episode five. And this episode, 22 here, I felt, at, you know, like you, as I was watching, I'm like, this really has this sort of sense of uh, the sinister sense of foreboding about it that I find familiar from previous episodes. And so sure enough, uh, Takao-san is uh, behind episode direction. And uh, just to recap for anyone that doesn't remember all the way back in episode five and doesn't want to dig that up, uh, Takao CV includes uh, series direction and composition on uh, both seasons of Idolmaster Cinderella Girls. And doing a lot of storyboarding and episode direction for uh, stuff like K-On, Lucky Star, uh, Haruhi, I think also Occultic Nine is a sort of newer project as well. So I, to be honest, I haven't really seen a lot of those shows, so I'm not super familiar with her stuff. But I, I will say that I'm absolutely more tempted to look into other things she has done from seeing both of these Franks episodes, because uh, I think uh, she she does good work. And uh, Hiroshi Seko was the uh, script writer, and uh, Seko-san worked previously on uh, there were the scripts for episodes fourteen and fifteen. So oh great, <laughs> the high watermark for like fandom controversy around <laughs> around the show. I have I have oh. no idea what you're talking about controversy. <laughs> What? Never. <laughs> Not with this show. The last time Ichigo did anything of note. It's true. That's yeah. That's very yeah. True. Yeah. You've you've God. I was just thinking actually when I was thinking back on this episode, like, isn't Ichigo supposed to be the team leader? Why is he? Oh, never mind. Well, you know, what, you know what's funny is this whole episode 
uh, one of the nagging thoughts that I could not get out of my head was anytime anyone other than Hero or Zero Two showed up, and it's funny because Hero and Zero Two have really taken kind of a backseat throughout this whole pregnancy arc. But whenever uh, any of the wait, other wait, characters, can I um can I just the fact that we have to that the words pregnancy arc. Yeah, I just want to pause on those words for a moment and like oh, yeah. rub my temples and <laughs> shake Look, man, my head. In, in, in my recent review, I had to write the words space abortion. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, <sighs> but okay. I don't even. But this whole episode, all I could think was whenever Goro or Ichigo or really anyone showed up on screen that wasn't Kokoro or Hero or Zero Two was when was the last time any of these characters did anything. And I honestly couldn't remember. Like, I wasn't even being snarky. I was like, what? when was the last time we saw Goro? What's he been doing? I wish I'd been seeing him more often, to be honest, because after this episode, I just think to myself, why can't he be the main character? Well, and I, know. I, I mean, I know that his uh, his voice actor is the one that got ill. Yeah, right? yeah so, correct. That is right. Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird having a character that was framed as so important, Ichigo and Goro both. You know, they were two of the main characters of the first half of the series, and they've essentially been missing from this entire last half up until this week. Sir not appearing in this film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, y- you're not wrong. You're no. Not wrong. Uh, well, just to close the loop on, on Seko here, just connective tissue, because the next show we plan to cover on Stream of Thought is Banana Fish, and Seko is uh, series composition on the upcoming Banana Fish anime. So, again, I guess, I guess like, reasons to hope? You know, yeah. because this episode was was all things considered, uh, I think pretty good, uh, especially for for this show. It was great if you ignore everything that Hero ever said in the entirety of its run, but but that's standard for Franks at this point, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean in the episode, the episode uh, screenwriter can't very well be like, "I'm changing major plot points," you know, at this point. So yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? A little late. We only got two yeah. weeks left. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I would recommend checking out uh, Seko's, uh some of the other shows that uh, they've done composition for, like Mob Psycho 100. Great show. Oh, amazing oh, show. That's good. That's reassuring. That's very reassuring. Because I'm going to say, like, I can't do another Frank's quality show after, you know, after this is over. It has to be something good. That's why we're going for the Banana Fish, because it's come, it's come recommended, the, the original material, that is, at the very least. I've, right. I, I, okay. I've seen a lot of people on like Reddit and Twitter talk about how they feel like the show needs another season, and the thought of twenty four <laughs> no <laughs> twenty four more episodes is just honestly um, it, it leaves you feeling drained just thinking about it. I honestly like if if it turned out that like you know we get to the end of episode twenty four and it has like that closing like commercial for season two like oh, in the field no. like 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 with what happened with Violet <laughs> Evergarden when he said like new project film if that happened I will stand up and I will scream Nishigori at the top of my voice like I'm doing a Khan impression. <laughs> Nishigori Can you have flashbacks for something that hasn't happened yet? Because I feel like that's what's happening to me right now. <laughs> Predictive PTSD. Yes. <laughs> Man, I you got you gotta you gotta put the dog down. You can't let it keep limping on into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> one one can hope. Alright, so uh, nightmare timelines aside, let us actually talk about stargazers. And it opens with a line which is, no one can swim in the same river water twice. 
And this is going to be a repeated motif throughout the, this episode, and honestly, it confused the ever-living daylights out of me when I first heard it. Well, so it's a paraphrase of uh, Heraclitus, a Greek philosopher, uh -huh. who said uh, that you can't walk through or stand in the same river twice. Yeah. It's meant to like convey that all of life is flux, all of life is change, there's uh, no permanence, and... You know, being is uh, a kind of ever-moving thing, ever-changing thing. And yeah, I I mean, I guess, like, stuff changes in this episode. So, sure, it, it applies. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it being a recurring motif? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an empty platitude, right? Yeah. Because really yeah. the, the whole the whole crux of the thought is everything changes uh, to which, you know, most audience members will probably hear that line and go, yeah. And so what? Um, it's kind of something that Darlene, the Franks keeps doing where it, it brings up ideas or it, it, it yes. references ideas or thoughts or concepts or things that you might say resemble a theme but it doesn't really do anything with them. It just kind of tosses them out there and says, all right, well, we, we talked about a theme. And so for this mm -hmm. episode, uh, it's just kind of Goro um, and Ichigo to a lesser degree just reflecting on, yep, things sure are different than they were before the aliens popped uh, po popped out of the sky and, and blew everything up. Um, it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's such an obvious thing to say, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, things are different. <laughs> All, and all like apply yeah. yeah, it applies in like the most broad way, yeah, like, like all, not very specifically. All of the adults got yeah. their brains sucked out into space, I guess, and now you guys are trying to make a farm. And yeah, no, things are different. That's true. Ah, same river, can't do it. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Uh oh, hero used to tell me, like, oh, I know. <laughs> of course, of course he. Did. Where did he learn that? By the way, he's a re avid reader of philosophy. Is anime Jesus? I know. Like, what do uh. they read? Has the show ever shown them reading anything other than that pregnancy pamphlet? I want to say there was one scene where the there golden was like a... bow, right? About uh, didn't didn't zero two go to the library to read the golden bow? That's right. So they did have a library. Yeah, it, just, it never came up in the, in the no. <laughs> so I guess you must. Something he said as a kid, though. <laughs> like I don't know. It's it's mine. It just. It's like the Gian reference actually comes to think of it. Like, where did oh, that yeah. come from? It's one of those things where the, the minute you think about it, the entire world of Darling and the Franks falls apart. Because if they had a library <laughs> uh, filled with books, um, I, I, we'll probably talk about the whole ape dystopia or lack thereof later. So I'll, I'll save that for later. But it's just, it's one of those things where the minute I think about them having access to books, uh, all I can think about is, well, at no point in reading any of those books did they come across anything resembling old human culture and old human relationships because if he's reading philosophy from from like ancient greece then one would have to imagine that there's other books that i don't know it doesn't make any sense but moving on <laughs> yeah like great works of the western tradition that are about like freedom and individualism <laughs> <laughs> whatever i mean i personally thought that hero would be more down for reading the hunger games <laughs> i mean you know that would probably be more his speed to be honest you know youth adventure novels he just checks anyway, out. He's just um, one of those patrons that comes just to check out GQ, and that's it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about his level, to be honest. So, what has happened after the end of the last episode when the star and C, you know, was taken back and, you know, Zero Two looked like she'd fallen into a coma? She is in a coma, as it happens. And believe it or not, there's a callback here because Hero is trying to feed her, and he goes, 
say ah, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's happened a couple of times throughout the show's run, hasn't it? Episode two, episode two, uh, episode thirteen, when we had the flashback where he pops the sweet in her mouth. Oh and yeah. Book zero two, of course, is completely unresponsive, and nothing, nothing's happening. Can't bring us to life. Nothing going down. So. Yeah, things not looking good for our, you know, lead female characters here, unfortunately. Although, of the two of them, I am still of the opinion that Hero is the more brain-dead at this point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Ah, yeah. ah, absolutely. I mean, it's not an easy, you know, it's not an instantaneous decision like here, you know. It could be op- open either way. So, what's happened in the intervening time after this episode is that they have decided, you know, the back of the bird's nest, they're trying to, you know, set up some sort of food source. Because, Wait, pause. You know, sorry, Everyone pause. lived! I like, know everyone lived. I knew it. I win our I win the bet. Fucking this show does not want to kill off any of its characters. It it's too sort of enthralled with them. So no I one didn't will die. Know about that? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say uh, uh, Ikuno is not looking so hot uh, this episode. <laughs> she's not. She's looking a little gray. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I like was worried. I was like, okay, they're actually gonna. Not really worried, but like I was like, oh no, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be wrong. Ikuno is gonna die last episode, but nope, she's still hanging out, still farming, despite like whatever it is that happened to Squad Twenty Six also happening to her here, like losing the youth. Um, but we, the, you know, the implications of that are still to be seen. Mm-hmm. So the gang are all having a meeting in which they're discussing the state of their current facilities, like what food resource, uh, food supplies they've got, you know if their filtration systems, water purification are all working, etc, etc. And generally speaking, everyone's, you know, pretty much on board with helping out. Like, we've got all the individual members doing something. Even Fatoshi is doing something. I mean, I thought he would be in charge of monitoring the food reserves, and, you know, the graph that follows him being in charge, that would drop like a stone. I think there was an episode, there was an episode of Lost with that exact plot line, where, uh, where they gave Hurley, the big guy, uh, he was in, oh, you're right. he was in charge oh, of the food gosh. in the bunker, and uh, he ended up eating a bunch of it, because he's a fatty, and uh, that was his character trait for like the first few seasons. And I love that show, but that episode made me mad, because... Uh... <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of Hurley, but Hurley is, like, Futoshi is literally the Hurley of this show. I mean, I feel like it's... Hurley was a cinnamon roll, so... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Futoshi, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how I feel about this guy right now. He's He alternates between being insufferably creepy and just really kind of pathetic. <laughs> yeah. And now he's just here yeah. just, you know, doing stuff. At least he had a somewhat socially conscious thought this episode. It's true. Like, should we stop using magma energy? Uh, and I think he says it belonged to the Klaxosaurs. I'm like, no, it is the Klaxosaurs. It Some is man. it Some is man. them. Like they evolved into it. It, it. That's that was my understanding of the Frank's position from the last couple episodes. So so yeah, I mean it'd be good to stop using it. But I actually kind of like the the conversation here between he and Zorobe because they are in you know, between a, a rock and a hard place. Like they have to do something objectionable, abominable to keep surviving, but it's what they have to do to keep surviving, really. It's very pragmatic. Well, honestly, I think this whole framework, this idea that they have to survive in a world without adults, that's genuinely really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I would watch that for more than just an episode. I would love to see the challenges they face, the decisions they have to make, the the setbacks they have, you know, like if... If we got a, a version of Darling in the Franks that was just the Martian, but with a bunch of, like, horny high schoolers, oh, I think that yes. could be a good show. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, oh, man, I need to rewatch The Martian, actually. Oh, man. 
that was a damn good film. But this, anyway, like um, a part of the cool thing about this episode was, uh, to me anyway, is that it uh, it had the sort of diebuster, gunbuster feel, and that like you know after a huge kind of cataclysmic event, like the next episode like the political landscape and the social landscape has shifted so drastically. Like I, I predicted sillily uh, in our previous pod that there will be a time skip. Uh, there was, it, it wasn't quite that, but it was kind of that similar feeling of while everything's changed, like it's interesting to kind of check in on everyone and see what's different with all the major players. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a tone skip. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Mm, yeah. No, it's actually really good and refreshing just to see them discussing this sort of stuff. I mean, this is the next logical step after the episodes where they were at Misselheim uh, in the second half of the show. This is them like, you know, okay, now we really are in trouble. And now we definitely have to act on our own, you know, accord and then with our own initiative. But unfortunately, there are a couple of complications. First off, Hero's not really paying attention to any of this because, of course, he's, you know, thinking about what's happened with Zero Two. And then Kokoro has to leave because she's going to be sick again because, of course, she's pregnant. So after the beast's up, Ichigo has a discussion with Hero in which, you know, she says, we'll help you any way we can, etc., etc., you know, like, we, we've got your back. So that's all very nice. And then, and then we cut to characters I did not expect to be returning yeah. in this way, that's for sure. Totally. We meet Nine Alpha in a hospital room with two of his compatriots, and Nine Alpha looks like me after I've had a night out on tequila. He looks bad. Like, <laughs> he looks he looks pretty grim. And it turns out that he is dying and so are his fellows because they need maintenance. What the maintenance is, I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he, refer, he refers to it as um, his quote-unquote condition, right? Like, the, their condition can't be abated or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Nines are still around. At least three of them are anyway. But, man, like... Who would have thought that this show would have taken this route with these guys? I thought that, you know, that just to reiterate what I said previously, I thought that they were going to take them in just the cartoon villain way of like, Meh, we're going to stop you from, you know, getting to the star NC. And now they're actually like, you know, very pitiable, mm-hmm. which is odd. It's a weird kind of show that can make them so cartoonish and then go completely background to making us feel a small touch of sympathy for them. You see, well, and honestly, for me, that's almost something that I think... I would have almost rather had them be the cartoon villains just because that's the only thing the show's done with them so far. Uh, literally, mm-hmm. all we've learned about them are that they're jerks, that they're mm-hmm. clones of Zero Two for some reason, mm-hmm. and then now mm-hmm. they're dying and have some kind of illness. And really, I mean, again, I, I try to be optimistic, and maybe these final two episodes will do something that will justify the existence of these characters. But up until Mm. now, all they've really done is serve as the closest thing the show has to a direct antagonist until the aliens popped up. And then now that the aliens are here, they've just been relegated to, well, uh, we don't really know what to do with these guys. So let's just make them sick and make them sad. And um, maybe we'll get some sympathy (laughs) out of them. And it just, it feels very, um, it feels very sloppy to me. Yeah. I mean, that, there was, there is an idea in here, a germ of an idea that could be, you know, used if the writers had taken the science to think about it, which is that the knights are a construction of their biology. They were bred and made the way they are deliberately to fulfill a purpose, much the same as the kids are. And if the characters and the knights in particular take the time to reflect that, you know, that they have been betrayed by their very makeup, you know, by who they are, 
by Papa, essentially, because Papa, of course, you know, made them how he, how they were. Although maybe it was Franks, maybe it was a combination of etc. You know, like how the kind of nature versus nurture thing, you know, like you are destined to be this way genetically, but maybe you could be different, maybe you could be better than that. I don't know. There's ideas in here. Like, you said it yourself, James. Like, you know, there's potential in the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there was potential. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I, I mean, I, honestly, I really think if they cut, like, three or four of the the kind of pointless boys and girls are, are different episodes that they had in the first half of the series, introduced this twist around episode 16 and actually gave it mm-hmm. time to breathe, I think a lot of these plot developments, just like you said, could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're all crammed into one episode before everyone says, all right, fuck it, we're going to space. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Because what else is left? Like, I mean, it's like Ben Yahtzee Croshaw once said, like, you know, that's the next logical step. Take it to space, then you're done. We've got to, you know, up the scale a bit, I suppose. Yeah. It seems to trigger science fiction show. <laughs> space yeah, is their destination. Sp- yeah, space is the final, you know, the final place to go to, I suppose, actually. You're quite right. But anyway, um, so... On the farm, the kids are all working on it, and I don't know why, but future shovels and future signs. Like, <laughs> my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> they look cool, man. I mean, are these so things good. on JML adverts? Like, <laughs> uh... the ape-sponsored shovel has free retractable heads for optimal soil tiling. Only uh, three easy payments of forty nine ninety five. <laughs> Buy one now, get a second for free. A forty dollar value for nineteen ninety nine. I was gonna say, if everyone mm-hmm. on Earth is immortal, and the only people that are not living their lives in like VR paradises are these kids, and the kids ostensibly don't really need to do any of this because they get food dropped to them via care packages, why are there all these tools lying around? Who's been using them in the meantime? An excellent point. <laughs> Most excellent Pass. point. Maybe there was some sort of like ye old humanity music. No, nope, nope. Scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they pint out their, you know, their implements too much for it to be ye, ye oldy thing. Like, this is this is brand new. This this is like, you know, it's like when you buy a gaming chair. Like, you know, this ain't like, you know, the, the bottom line shovel. This is like the top of the line one with chrome rims and everything. It probably has a bidet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe, like, I mean, they talked about reading how to farm. Maybe they read how to build tools <laughs> off screen. I don't know. Uh, Fatoshi got an engineering degree. <laughs> yes. Zorame is like, I'll weld. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, good God. So in other words, Franks is turning into Scrap Heap Challenge. Yes. I'd be up for, I'd be up for that. This is going to be an OAV uh, packaged with the Blu-ray. Look for it. <laughs> so, okay, uh, the kids are farming, and Hero turns up, and everyone's like, "That you look like shit, mate. And, well, he's obviously distracted still. But they get interrupted by uh, an object falling from the sky, which is a Klaxosaurum Verm soldier that has fallen from space. Uh, by the way, early in the episode, it's shown that the Klaxosaurs are still going into space to fight Verm. I don't quite know why, because they don't have a leader now? Well, maybe it's like, um, uh, I guess... This could be a reach, but like, um, you know, like how Nana, current Nana, not previous Nana, is sort of set on autopilot, like can't reverse course without Papa's uh, approval or whatever. Like maybe they have some sort of like programming that has been put into effect. And now that the queen is gone, they're just kind of playing out the string. 
dried out star NCIS, I suppose. Just a probably totally gonna... like unsubstantiated uh, hypothesis for me. I, mean, I was going to yeah. say we, we don't really know even how sentient these the Franks, not the Franks, the Claxosaurs are. So I mean, it, yeah, it could be that they're mm-hmm. just like ants, just kind of scrambling around a, a bit of spilled soda. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on with them. They're just eh, flying. But they're going space. anyway. By the way. I have to say, like, the design of the Klaxosaur rockets, they are the most 1950s, you know, classic, you know, tripod, like, it's, I like, I like that. I like it when it gets a bit retro. So, after seeing that, you know, these two explode, like, Kokoro is sick again. She starts, fall, she falls over, she's unwell. And so, we get to the scene in which, finally, she gets diagnosed as being pregnant. Uh, Nana, the new Nana, is there, and... Well, she treats it like as basically a disease, you know. Here's the treatment for it. Have an abortion. Yeah, here's historically Great. what we've done in the past. And then I thought it like, I don't know, why did they, um, it, it felt weird that they gave her the choice of what to do. I mean, I'm glad they did in some ways, but like, you'd think that such a sort of autocratic regime would be like, here's what's happening. Deal with it. I'm guessing there's just no one left to enforce it. That would be my feeling on it, given, you know, that all the adults have been, you know, uploaded into Verm's SSD in space. SSD. Well, it just made me realize, this whole scene made me realize that the only reason um, Kokoro and Mitsuru had their memories erased in the first place, not in-universe, but the only reason the writers chose to make that happen is so that when Kokoro finds out that she's pregnant, she can be scared and freaked out and not have any Mm -hmm. idea what to do, because... She's the only one that had any information about what pregnancy was, and now all that information's gone. Um, so what yep. I'm assuming what's going to happen is in the next couple episodes, uh, you know, she and and her lover boy are going to have kind of a, a difficult time trying to figure out what to do with this baby. But then they're going to, you know, touch heads or whatever and get their memories back. And she'll be like, no, I wanted this baby the whole time. It's a beautiful miracle. And then they'll walk off into the sunset. I I don't think either of these two are going to die, or at least Kokoro. I don't think she's going to die. I think she's going to have her baby and it's going to be a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's going to be the start of the new human race and all of this, everything leading up to this is just stalling for time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only way this would be improved is if, you know, Mitsuru held the baby up and then, you know, that bit from Lion King starts playing. (laughs) Yep. And then he's like, Uh, I will call you Adam. Oh, no. (laughs) I would... The cr- I feel the cringe of that already. <laughs> oh, you know oh that's what they're going to do. It's going to be Adam. Or if it's a girl, it'll be Eve. Oh, So Nana uh, says, it is considered impossible for a pregnant woman to pilot the Franks. And I'm like, hmm, let me think about this for a minute. What was Kokoro doing just the previous episode? Piloting the Franks. Uh, Nana, you're chatting shit. <laughs> Now, here's the thing about this, right? I understand exactly why the writers put this little line in there, because they, of course, want to now make it clear to Kokoro she's not going to be using the Franks anymore. But the thing is, there's a difference between it being impossible to do something and it just being very highly recommended not to do something, like to warn you away. I mean, in theory, you could go on, you know, the Hulk roller coaster at Universal Studios when pregnant. You could do that. It'd be a bad idea, but yeah, you could. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd, be t- it'd be a bloody terrible idea, of course, though. Uh, so, no. And I have to say, like, I just thought of this, like, wait a minute. If this kid's developing a consciousness inside the womb, it's going to end up turning out like, you know, Alia from Dune or something like that. It's going to wake up with all the memories. 
of you know of both her parents so like oh god are you saying that are you saying that darling of the franks is gonna try to make an argument about uh where life begins because <laughs> <laughs> i think if, if it's gonna do that i'm probably just gonna have to wave my hands and say nah, I, nah I'm, I'm good i'm good I'm gonna, oh. yeah hit the uh, bail out hit the eject board <laughs> roe v franks oh <laughs> nope no thanks so there were two things okay. about this scene um that I, I wanted to just touch on very quickly. One was uh, when Mitsuru finds out that he's a father, like just what he does. I was like, I feel you, man. Cause the first time I found out, I, <laughs> even though we were, even though I was like, it was totally intentional and that's what we were trying to do. My legs still gave out and I collapsed. <laughs> so like, and you, yep. and you know how babies are made. Like you were all about the process. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I thought it was just for pig. This dude's like, uh, wait, I, I thought I was a virgin. What? <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine, yeah, waking up. But and the other thing was, um, I really do this episode enjoy the new Nana character, and I like I talked about previously the the sense of dread that she like adds to this episode with this scene, and then her previous discussion with Goro that I referenced, where she's like, we can't repair anything because i can't act without papa's orders and he's like well if you don't we'll all die and she says yeah so be it and just the look on his face like oh my god like this is she's really gonna let this happen like it was um it was good i uh the, the mood and the tone in the scenes with her um and just kind of cold robotic nature uh i did appreciate yeah i agree i agree so to follow up meets through you know and his legs buckling the, the blokes, the guys, head outside, walk down the corridor, meet Sreus, lags behind, and he asks, hero of all people, what he <laughs> should course. do. Of course, yes. And, I, and I'm like, Guiding oh star. my god. <laughs> hero. Oh my god, like, I don't know, none of the other guys, I suppose, would have been a good asterisk. Like, I, maybe he should have made a group question, but the last person I'd be asking is that idiot, to be honest. Zoramay, so. what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> he, Zoramay would start quoting South Park, kick the baby. He'd be like, maybe we should make out? Maybe we should. Maybe, maybe we should kiss. Maybe that'll fix it. Oh my god! So okay, Hero gets back to his and Zero Two's room, and she has left. She's wandered. I think it's outside or one of the corridors, and she's looking up at the stars. Cuts to the next scene. Kids are all eating, and it turns out that Nana and Hachi arrive. They pop in. Welcome back. And yeah, Nana, who'd have, who'd, old Nana, who'd have thought that she was still around? Like I thought the show had just forgotten about her. I thought yeah. they were dead, to be honest. Um. For sure, I totally thought they were dead. Yeah, how did Hachi survive? <laughs> I don't know because wasn't wasn't he right around when uh, when Frank Scott like exploded or, or crushed or whatever? Yeah, he, was ne- he totally he was, was. And who how fucking get out? Wiped his memories. I don't even. <laughs> how, I mean, I don't know how he even got out. Like, did he did he hail an Uber? Did that <laughs> yeah. take him out of there? Jesus Christ. Okay, so Frank's left a passing gift, unfortunately. And Nana and Hatchy go and visit this computer room to go and, you know, plug in Frank's USB stick and, you know, look at all the sordid shit on there. I mean, can you imagine what must be on that particular <laughs> pen drive? The deviant art downloads on that. <laughs> My fucking God. All the fucking surveillance videos from the ladies' dorm from the experiment. It's just in a folder labeled taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Accounting reports. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and a shit sort of Sonic fanfic as well, because I get the impression Frank's would be into that. This is another like this whole thing about like basement thirteen where all the the bodies are are st- like, I mean it 
the gravity of it or whatever just didn't hit me because things are happening so fast this episode. Just like, goddamn, this is another super convenient, like, abrupt twist. Like, of course it's in an email trigger to go off at the death of Franks. Well, and, like, Naomi's there. Yeah. And I, for a second, <laughs> I was like, who? <laughs> Who's that? And I was like, oh, right, like. Hero had a girlfriend or whatever. Hero had another partner that he was super broken up about for one episode. And she she's still around, so maybe she'll come back. And, oh, my God, I just had a thought. Is she going to come back to life right after Zero Two dies? And then oh, my sweet now God. That, now that Hero has met the woman that allowed him to grow into the mature, self-actualized man. Um, but also she's died, so she's no longer, like, a problem. Um, then Naomi's going to wake up and Hero's going to, like, just start a family with her. Is that what's going to happen? And then, and of course, Naomi will say, I'm sorry, Hero. I'm sorry that I put our relationship on ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, of course, it's her fault. I just needed some time to cool off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the jokes write themselves. It's great. <laughs> how did, oh, I just Jesus. still want to know how she survived that whatever happened to her in the first episode. Her ship exploded. It, it looked absolutely fatal. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what happened? Or she, yeah, like, yeah. Her ship was taking off and it got hit by a Klaxus or thing. I thought. I don't know. I, I haven't gone back to episode one, but I, I just assumed no, she that's, was dead. Yeah. Well, they, they, um, they say in a subsequent episode that she's in a coma or whatever. Like, they, oh. they don't show anything that happened, but they just offhandedly make a comment about it. Okay. She Apparently she was a base for 13. Yeah, she ended up in a coma, not because of the accident, but because she read the scripts for future episodes of the show. It is pretty traumatic, to be fair. It's true. Uh, so, okay, so Franks has left a number of instructions, one of which is that Nana and Hatchie must become the new adults for the kids, meaning they need to be the role models, the people in charge, you know, the people who look after them and care for them, etc., etc., which really makes me think that Franks did not write this email. <laughs> It does. It does come across as like too sort of caring. Well, no. What what uh, what Hachi didn't include was uh, that there was a, an extra line that said, "By the way, um, uh, in my locker you'll find a bunch of little cameras, and uh, yeah. I've I've marked all the perfect places to put those cameras, and I want yeah. you to, to 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 print out the pictures and put them on my grave." Please also grope Nana's ass for me while oh, you're at it. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Fuck that guy. I mean. Even even in death, I, and after doing this little thing, I still can't think to myself, man, Franks was a complicated guy. <laughs> no, no. No. Not, not while I live. He was a breathe. piece of garbage. If, if, if you'd had me on uh, last, was it last week, when Zero Two was just like, yeah, I don't care about all the torture and stuff. Mother I'm just, fuck. Oh. <laughs> I was, if, if I'd been on for that one, uh, we probably would have had to set aside a full 20 minutes of me just screaming into the microphone. That was bas- that was basically me and Doc anyway. 20 minutes a piece of, like, you know, <laughs> of absolute vitriol. Like, I was spewing fire everywhere. It Garbage. was so, Ugh. so bad. So bad. Oh my god. I, I, god I, I'm perfectly fine it. having been tortured for the entire, you know, first 16 years of my life because it allowed me to meet the man that I want to bone. So thanks, Doctor. <sighs> god. Yay! Yay! I mean, what next? Is OK Cupid going to start listing waterboarding as a meanful way of, you know, meeting your significant other? I mean, just, <laughs> just enabling a shitty behavior and abuse from parents and older, like, ah. Oh. Just we we have to move on. We have to move on. I mean, at, yeah, at, not... at the end of the day, it's fine because he's an atheist. So, 
Oh, that was. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Oh, man. So stupid. Well, speaking of, you know, Dead Earth and all that, you know, like, let's not, let's not go over all ground here. Let's talk about all ground in the next scene. Hey, Hatchy that's a beautiful specs. segue. Yeah. I really, I tortured myself thinking about that. Then. I was like, God, think it on the fly. God damn it. Um, but Hatchy, um, it turns out, apart from, of course, having been a Franks pilot, and also, you know, having done all the administrative juices, also pretty good at farming. Future Farmers of America, Hachi. Club president. I know. Like, did, like, what was he doing? Was he growing wheat in his, like, you know, office or something? Going like to make that. a cameo um, in the upcoming season of Silver Spoon, a young Hachi. <laughs> so he has a look, and it turns out all the plants that they were, uh, all the plants they were growing, uh, all the crops have withered and died. And Hachi speculates that this is because the magma energy has robbed the soil of life. Now, at this time I was watching this, I was like, guys, guys, just just go to Misselheim. You've got Misselheims in the plantations, you're good. Like, you can grow stuff there. It, it, it's fine. Um, this actually then turns out to be the case later, but funnily enough, like, I couldn't help but think to myself, because it starts raining in this uh, in this scene, by the way, uh, which is another good example of the mood setting here. Like, you know, it's literally raining on their parade. Perhaps a bit cliche, but still works. Yeah, effective. I just couldn't help but think self, is it just because they haven't irrigated it? Is that literally it? I mean... I don't that, know. That doesn't punch as hard as the planet is rejecting us. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, the kids are all pretty dejected. If there's one thing that I have to say this episode is really consistent about, it's anxiety about the future. Yeah. Like, you might think, for example, like, as I thought, that Kokoro becoming pregnant was just like, you know, that whole kids of the future thing and it still is to a very large extent. I'm not going to, you know, hand wave that away all of a sudden just because, you know, the writer is actually making good use of it in a different way. But, you know, our, how are our supplies doing? How are the facilities doing? You know, the war is still going on. Like, they can see it in the sky for our lobby episode. Things blowing up in the distance. Although that does make me chuckle that Verm only decides to get as far as Mars before, you know, stopping off for, like, a lunch break or something. I mean, is it like, is there, like, a sign at, like, Mars orbit that says like last gas for like you know two hundred thousand light years. <laughs> two for one burners. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, pretty well, much. No, that's where they're gonna go, um, and they're gonna find out that the actual enemy are the Reapers, and the only way to defeat oh, the Reapers. No! <laughs> it's gonna happen too. Fuck. Look, James. Right, I, Mass Effect Freeze ND was really, really bad. So don't say that because it could be true. I know. I know. It's my. Fr- my favorite game series of all time, and the last 10 minutes of Mass Effect 3 genuinely broke me. Hero, oh. what's your favorite color? Red, <laughs> green, or blue? I mean, we all know it's red. Uh, we all know it's red. Yeah, you're, you're totally right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, like, this is a part of the script, right? But it's also part of Noriko's direction and, you know, comp- and composition here that Dread for the Future is... I mean, for a start, like, it's entirely merited. Like, they have no authority figures... They're basically stuck out on their own now. Even when they were in the early episodes, when they were in Misselheim after, you know, the Battle of Grand Crevasse, they still had that safety net going of sorts. They always had someone they could contact. But that's it now. Like, the adults don't know any better than they do. They've got to lead the way. This, in my mind, is more the future kind of... The idea of, you know, doing something for the future that the show should probably have focused on rather than, you know, having camera angles making it very explicitly that it is about Kokoro being pregnant and ergo kids. But I really do appreciate that they're at least doing it. Even at this late stage, they're still trying to do something good with this show, and they are doing it. So, thank God for that. Yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. However, there is, of course, still the hero problem, I'm afraid. The hero problem. (laughs) Yeah. 
So Goro's trying to, you know, convince Hero to, you know, get his ass in gear and actually contribute to this because, I mean, I've never worked so far myself apart from, you know, making sure I've got enough pylons in StarCraft. But, <laughs> I mean, breaking, like, rocks up a dirt, you know, is hard work. Because they're doing this manually, by the way, which does beg the question of why there aren't any, like, you know, automated machines. Whatever, that's minor world-building stuff. I don't care about that. Let's actually talk about the important things here. So Hero, you know, is constantly, you know, worrying after Zero Two. And she's at stood out in the rain. Uh, I don't know if this is intentional or not, by the way, but this may very well be a callback to that line of, you know, it only rains when Papa commands it. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, I just thought, it just pops into my head. I was like, oh yeah. I hesitate to give thing. the show that yeah. much credit. I mean, it's yeah, like I you know. said, they, they can do callbacks, you know, with the with the ah thing earlier, with the feeding each other thing. But that, I don't know. I, I, nah. Maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll let them have that one. I'll let them have that one. <laughs> Indeed. So Zero Two is out in the rain again, looking at the sky, and Hero pulls her back in. Now, something we've neglected to mention so far is that Zero Two is spontaneously bleeding. She has stigmata. Cuts. Yeah. I, you have no idea how happy I'm, by the way, that it turned out she was not self-harm. Oh, That's I know. Not explanation for me. I really yeah. thought that... I've like, at first I thought, no, please no. No thanks. But no, that's not the case. So... Hero takes her back to her room and is struggling to figure out what's going on. Uh, There's a really nice animation here, by the way, of him picking up the book that she drew, the reprints of The Beast and the Prince, uh, with the pencil stuff. Like, they took a lot of time to animate this properly. I think that the storyboarding in this episode, like, there's a lot of fluidity in motion mm-hmm. rather than it being stiff as it has been in previous ones. Mm-hmm. Now, what Hero finds when he picks up the book, which, again, I am massively impressed by Zero Two's photographic memory. Jesus Christ. Like, it's... <laughs> It's ridiculous. I mean, you 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 talked about how the nines could have explored the nature nurture and uh, kind of rejecting the purpose that other people have in mind for you. Apparently, this fucking fairy tale book is just destiny. It is mm. the things that will absolutely happen, and there's no way around it in the mind of our our fearless protagonist here. Mm-hmm. So Zero Two has left the final page blank. And he knows why. He knows. Yeah. I actually really like this. I mean, I said before, like, about the idea of the Beast and the Prince being such a massive, like, you know, Venn diagram overlap that it's not even, like, you know, two separate circles as far as, you know, their lives and that of the story goes. I mean, it is contrived that they would just happen to have that book as opposed to, I don't know, Rapunzel or something like that, but whatever. Um, I really like that because now they're taking that, you know, it is contrived and then Zero Two actually has recognized it. Like, sometimes you take stuff that, out of universe, we, you know, would-be anime curmudgeon critics might notice, and have the characters actually have that kind of self-awareness. Then not only have you solved, you know, the, the idea of it being contrived by having it being hand-waved away, but then you also, you know, get more drama out of it. So this is good. This is good stuff. So obviously she didn't want to pen that final page, because then it would feel like committing to that ending. Maybe she just forgot to eat it. So she can't reproduce. (laughs) Do you remember? Remember, she ate the the book. Readers Digest. (laughs) Sometimes I forget Uh, that she ate a book to commit it to memory. Hashtag zero two ate a book. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So, hero, like you know, he holds close. Like, what what's going on? Like, why did you leave the page blank? Etc. Etc. And then. His horns are finally at some point sprouted out from under his skin, and he touches them to Zero Two's broken horns, and he has a vision. The vision is of Star Entity, along with the Klaxor fleet engaging Verm in space. And 
there's a particular scene of Verm suicide soldiers blowing up in Starency's face. And when that happens, Zero Two spontaneously develops deep wounds on her. So Hero, because surprisingly enough, he's not completely brain dead, does actually understand what's going on here. So, next scene. It turns out that there is a surviving missile Hindo that Goro and... Um, in fact, it may very well be actually be the same one that our heroes had because it was nestled in front of the giant handprint uh, that the giant Klaxosaur left. You know, the... The baby the, hand. The, biggest, <laughs> the Stay Puft Marshmallow Klaxosaur, man. <laughs> the unexplained um, giant hand. What the yeah, fuck where, is where that is hand? That? <laughs> yeah. So... Goro says we could use that, you know, if we, like, you know, level all the buildings and structures and just, you know, turn it over to farmland, we've got something. I would have thought they would have other plantations they could have done this with as well, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Hachi says that, you know, this did contain soil before the world turned to desert. I'm like, but didn't you say, like, it was magma energy that stopped this? Like, if you divorce it from its source of magma energy in the earth, then it shouldn't... Whatever, who cares? Again, this is minor, who, who cares? So, while this is happening, Hero comes in, he's like... I need to talk to you all. I've got something to discuss. And, you know, the gang again is all celebrating and talking about how they finally have a plan to, you know, get out of their farming crisis so they can have a source of food. Because their supplies that they have, of course... The human race is saved. Let's celebrate. Indeed. And then Hero comes in to, you know, say, well, what about me? (laughs) Ah. I'm going to space. Yep, Hero <sighs> is gonna go to space. Because apparently Sarah Kerrigan left the spaceship? Yeah, it's just lying there. It's just uh, her, her, just a little gift. Yeah. That Hachi is able to access for some reason. Because <laughs> he's, he, he's also, he's uh, also a master uh, programmer, uh, a hacker. <laughs> I don't even. And Klaxosaur ships use the same coding language that modern human technology yeah whatever exactly why isn't he fucking the leader jesus you know honestly (laughs) it would make more sense and not to be nitpicky but it would make a lot more sense if it was a verm ship because at least some of the eight members were from verm it's heavily implied that the technology they built up was verm technology so it would it make sense if hachi having learned to operate ape technology discovered oh wait it's actually the same stuff inside mm-hmm. the Verm ship, so I can actually access that and that can get you to space. But they don't have time to develop any of that because they have to cram everything into one episode. So it's like, oh no, the Klaxosaur princess left us a ship and we can turn it on. Oh, I raised you. Ape were, live, were staying on a space station and the Nines travelled up there at one point, so they clearly already have spaceships that can breach, you know, Earth orbit, Gainsworth orbit. Also true. So just use that, I guess, but... Oh, whatever. Maybe, you know, maybe Sarah Kerrigan was feeling generous and just left the keys in a cup somewhere. I don't know. Well, the power the power of Hero and Zero Two's love was so transformative that yeah. she, she gave them the keys to her car. Yeah. So. Oh, is it one of those, like, you know, parties where you leave keys in the, in the hole? <laughs> no. Uh, no, let's not have that. Zorame just steals all the keys. <laughs> it, wouldn't su- it wouldn't surprise me. He wouldn't do anything with them. He wouldn't actually take the cars. He'd just, like, keep them for himself like a magpie. He'd make out with them. Yeah, he would. He would try eating them. <laughs> I love you two so much. Is this what kissing my car? is? Is this what kissing is? <laughs> Why won't anyone tell me? So good. Dude, where's my Klaxosaur? Oh, yes. <laughs> I hate you. I Sorry, hate Doc. You. I had to do it. Ashton Kutcher just shows up. 
Oh, Hero is Ashton Kutcher. Oh we already know this. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so something I just want to very quickly address here. Now, you before, James, did say that this has not been a time skip. That some time has passed, but not that much. One thing this episode does not do as far as the character writing goes is apart from one bit with Miku, uh, when she says to Hero, you know, are you going to be okay with Zero Two? He's like, yeah, I'll be fine. Just leave us alone, etc. None of the characters really have said, like, you, you know, is she okay? Like, or have expressed real concern for her, which I find a bit concerning because what happens in a bit is one of the most egregiously offensive lines this show throws away. I, I didn't think it could keep innovating in being stupid like it does, especially with how Hero acts it shortly. But I do have to say, like, I can't really let the other characters off the hook because I get very much, like, you know, that they need all hands on deck to solve, you know, the food crisis and all that, you know, to solve all the problems that they have mounting up just to ensure they have, like, you know, a stable future. But it wouldn't kill them just to, like, you know, say, is she all right? Like, well, it's, I mean, it's, this is the flaw of, I mean, if anything, this is a fatal flaw of Darling and the Franks' relationship writing. Is mm-hmm. that as far as Darling and the Franks is concerned, um, the ideal relationship is one of utter codependency. And so mm-hmm. the only the only person that needs to be caring about Zero Two is Hero. And in fact, if any of the other characters care too much about Zero Two, and if she developed friendships with anyone other than Hero, that would upset the codependent narrative. And so what I've noticed is ever since the, the, the Ichigo Zero Two drama that got everyone all riled up, was resolved the next episode in 15 the the cast only interacts with zero two when it's convenient when it works for the plot um but none of them have built any relationships with her none of them have built any rapport with her Uh, none of them seem to care about her outside of her status as the other half of hero and so within the show's language them caring about Hero might, might as well be as good as caring about Zero Two, even though we, as yeah. as, as kind of as, as adults that know what real relationships ought to be like, uh, we realize that oh, it's kind of weird that you genuinely seem to forget that Zero Two exists unless Hero is being sad about it. Yeah, that there have been the odd moments here and there, like here mm-hmm. Ichigo and Zero Two, like having that rapport in the Goro focused episode. Uh, the bathing scene of all things with, with Miku and you know Zero Two, like you know Bantrid. Yeah, there well, but all these bots. happen. All these happen before the fucking shitstorm in fourteen fifteen. No, so, the Miku, what the Miku right? and Zero Two baby scene happened after. Okay, that was in episode sixteen, I think. Okay, okay, or well, seventeen. Well, relatively soon, I guess. After that, I guess uh, my point was saying that is that part of me wonders if like they're keeping them apart to avoid more outrage backlash type stuff if they're just like well this was a real hot button so we don't want to like push that like, i mean ha- i, have I them, genuinely yeah. think it's that the show doesn't necessarily care about zero two having a relationship with anyone else like it gives us mm. a couple of yeah. scenes that you know show us that they're all friends now so it makes sense that they fight together and that they're willing to sacrifice themselves to help zero two and hero but when it comes to like actual relationships um really she it almost treated every other parasite outside of the one kind of incident with ichigo that's the one time we've really had a character other than hero have some kind of relationship that was directly related to zero two as a person and not as an idea but outside Mm -hmm. of that really all we've seen is 
zero two and hero and zero two in the parasites as kind of like a, a whole and the only thing that that zero yeah. two and parasites relationship has done at least for me is that it's it's shown that oh well now that she's with hero all of her monstrous qualities have been tempered and now she can she can fully integrate into society and she can interact with the other kids as just a normal regular girl because you know because hero has given her that that fullness that wholeness as a person um but outside of that we don't really see much the code the way you framed it about um the codependence being kind of ideal in in the shows is actually really really good i hadn't kind of quite put that together in my head but that seems pretty accurate like yeah just like i don't know i mean i think so many of the characters like if they would just talk to each other like if they would if there were open lines of communication and we do the get group, a scene like that later on though the group That's cared the about each thing. other like directly and like it it would solve i guess so many of the issues in the show but maybe that's why they don't do it is to kind of manufacture the drama well we'll get to that because we do have that scene um yes oh my god that like just watching that scene later between ichigo and goro like i felt like i'd just been teleported to a different universe i was watching like the alternate version of the show where it wasn't a complete waste of my time (laughs) holy crap like that was good okay we'll get to that we'll get to that there are there are a few. I feel like there are two or three quite spectacular scenes uh, at the end of this episode, or, or near the near the end of the episode that I want to talk about. That's certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I do have to say, by the way, just as a small detail kind of thing, that I noticed when Hero is discussing with Hatchie like about the fact that Verm are all around Mars and that's where the Star Entity is. Um, this is such a weird, silly minor detail, but it made me realize again that you know when the writers want to be, they actually do know their shit. Which is that they have a graph or a, a diagram of the projected path that Hero's spaceship would take. And it actually has to go round the moon and circle back round again before propelling itself to Mars. Which is a gravitational slingshot. If you've ever seen Apollo 13, the film, and I know that makes me sound incredibly old. No, that's, what, shit, I, that's right? what I thought about when I saw that too. I was like, oh, just like Apollo 13. Uh- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's also was a thing in um, The Martian, funnily enough. I'm sure that they, you know... I, the Ares ship uses oh, yeah, that, that I think that's back. that's how they got the supplies to him within a reasonable time frame as they had to like yeah, that's shot how, it or something yeah so credit to Franks for doing that in fact so I have to just I know this is going to sound like a bit of a tangent here but I complained in episode 17 the Franks position one about how the fuck Franks and Karina knew like you know what they were talking about about the immortality thing but I completely forgot that it's mentioned in the episode that Karina is actually a specialist in telomeres, which are, you know, genetic markers associated with aging. So again, kudos to Franks for actually getting its science accurate-ish when it wants to, or when it needs to, rather. So, yeah, uh, I take that back. I apologize to this show, which I know if I'd say. I'm losing my touch, <laughs> aren't I? <laughs> Shit. All right, anyway, before I, you know, make a fool of myself even more. So, okay, Hero explains to everyone what's going on. Now, it was established previously that when you use a Franks, the woman's soul gets uploaded into the machine. And for reasons unknown, when Hero and Zero Two piloted the Star Entity, Zero Two's soul was locked inside Star Entity Australisia, or a combination there, it doesn't really matter, um, and did not get put back in her body. Now, the funny thing is, it's like, in the run-ups to these closing episodes, I thought to myself, what is the one thing they would rip off from Star Trek? And I thought to myself, it's going to be the ending of Wrath of Khan, 
where, you know, they're going to put Zero Two's body after she dies into a tube, fire out as Hero's giving the Kirk speech of, of all the souls I met, hers was the most human. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing Grace plays on the bagpipes in the background. Yes, exactly. Uh, didn't but it turns didn't out Franks not... have a line like that right before he died? It, you're right. I just, like, oh, when, when did she did. get so human? Oh, yeah. And then... <laughs> Bollocks, you're right. That was oh, so stupid. <laughs> Uh, be- before she rode the snake, as it were, into the, the snake the ba- Yeah, but um, no. It turns out that the Star Trek thing they're ripping off is the search for Spock. <laughs> his soul, his soul's elsewhere, and the body's here. We've got to reunite them. <laughs> Fucking hell! I thought they would, of course, have to rip off a bad Star Trek film for this plot, wouldn't they? But well, you know, I guess this is maybe trying to like counter the Verm kind of like neoplatonist idea like of you know and frankly the the stoic idea as well that like the body is just like a useless shell whatever like the ideal state is you know human consciousness freed from those constraints and so maybe like they're pitting uh they're, they're gonna fight against that and be like no like zero two needs to be like back in her body and bodies are good because touch and sex and living together and all that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So they have a discussion, like, and despite all their protests, he's going to go and do it. He's going to get in that damn spaceship, and he's going to go and find his lady's soul and somehow bring it back. And my reaction was, right, off you go. Send us a postcard. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out, you little shit. The rebuild will now be, like, 7% more efficient. <laughs> He's gone. How, how yeah. great would it be if the final two episodes of Darling the Franks really were just the rest of the kids trying to survive on Earth, and then no mention of and Hero, then, and they're like, "I wonder what happened to Hero." Oh, well. <laughs> He's watching over us from the great cosmos or whatever. The after credits of the final episode is dead bodies just floating in space. <laughs> yes, I, was gonna say that. <laughs> I know. Oh, there was so a malfunction so... when he got to orbit, and the ship blew up. It's that ignominious end. (laughs) What does this big red button do? Self-destruct sequence activated. Oh, shit. No! (laughs) Well, to be fair, like, that would be a bad ending because it would mean Zero Two's body would still be stuck in in Strelizia, so I suppose, you know, we'll have to, you know, accept that he does need to go and do it. So, Goro, after hearing all this, finally, like, man, I felt like, you know, Goro was acting on behalf of all of us still watching this turgid show because he chases Hero down the corridor and gives him a speech. He reads him the riot acts and says, when have you ever stopped for a second to think about what anyone else thinks or feels? And I'm like... It's been a long time coming. I know. Oh, it has. It has. And I love this scene so much because he, like, Hero finally got the fucking dressing down he deserves. However, there is a problem with this. I'm very sorry to say. The show, the thing is, right, has never ever presented Hero's actions up until this point as being bad. No. Like, when he, for example, passed the book on to Goro himself for apologising to Ichigo, did he ever suffer any consequences from that? Or was it even, you know, shot or filmed or shown to be a bad thing? It was just a passing comment. Like, oh, you can go talk to me about it, it's fine. In the very next scene, they glamorise what Hero has done. No, I mean, it's, yes. and Miku literally says, I wish I could have a love like that. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's, oh. uh, and, so, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the show com- the show gives Goro this awesome scene 
where he finally says what everyone's been thinking, and he actually, if the show had ran with this, it would have made Hero a, a 1.5 dimensional character at least, yeah. because the show would recognize yeah, it would have been yeah, something. this kind of selfish, foolhardy immature behavior is what a kid would do but we can't be kids anymore because the world is ending and we have to survive and the only way to survive is to grow up and stop thinking about ourselves and do something for the good of everyone um but then in the very next scene the show's like no actually uh, here is totally right um goro was just being uh, a selfish uh, self-centered person himself and um we're not going to talk about it anymore do you think there's no. one day you and I will have something we choose above anything else kind of deal? And I mean, like, I don't even want to sit here and outright say, like, Hero is wrong for, for choosing what he did. But, like, this so this is like a classic ethical dilemma, right? The the one or the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Second it been, reference, it been, uh, It would have been really interesting to kind of have the show play with it and pit them against each other. The, the members of the squad 13 here and like, you know, have them side with like a uh, kind of choose different, different horns of that dilemma, but it just immediately breaks. Like they just cannot yeah. oppose hero for more than a scene. Well, and the, pro- the problem isn't even the question. It's the way the question is framed, you know, like for, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for anyone out there that, that has children, I'm sure if they're presented with that question, if you had to save a whole busload of people or your child, your choice would be your kid. You know, that's not even something you necessarily think about. Mm-hmm. But Hero and Zero Two's relationship is just so – it's such a it's – a, it's a high school relationship. It's the relationship between two kids. And it's it's putting that kind of half-formed, infatuation-based, you know, short-sighted love on the same pedestal – as any other kind of love you're so you're yeah. so right about this and the the solution that he's come up with the theory is as half-baked as the relationship yeah you know what i yeah, mean there's exactly. no solid proof that anything that he thinks is actually true whereas yeah. we're starving right here right now yeah there's a couple of things i especially like just just to follow what you said there the, the way this is framed is again following the beast and the prince it's a fairy tale it's sanctified it's almost holy even that which has been eaten is sanctified. Yeah. <laughs> now, that being said, I'm actually going to mildly disagree with your statements here because there is no need for Hero to stay, to be quite honest. Like, the kids have been getting on along just fine. There's enough of them that they can make the farm work. Now, am I saying that he should be excused from contributing? No. He should be getting off his ass and doing it. But they can do without. That's why I don't think this dilemma really works as well because there needs to be a choice. Like, if Hero goes, they're not all going to die. They'll get by fine. In fact, they'll be they'll be better than fine because they'll have one less mouth to feed. So it's not a dilemma. Well, it's I mean it's kind of it's kind of odd because it's something that the show strangely kind of doesn't even bring up until the very end of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it's when when they do decide to help Hero, I, I can't remember who it is, but one of the one of the parasites kind of has a throwaway line. But they're like, yeah, well, the Verm said they were going to come back, so we have to deal with them eventually. And that's when I realized, oh, right, the Verm did say they were going to come back and kill everyone. So so really, and it's it's a failing of the writing, I think, because really the kids do kind of have to go because they're the only ones that, as far as we know, have the capability of actually fighting the Verm. But the show like forgets to address that. And like you said, it frames that choice 
specifically as Hero's choice to save the woman he loves instead of helping his friends start a new life on Earth. When in reality, at the end of the episode, the kids kind of remind you, we actually don't really have a choice. We have to go fight the aliens or they're going to kill us all. So we might yeah. as well yeah. go with you. So yeah. it's, it's weird. It's really weird. Like, I think it perhaps it might help you to think about the choice in this way. Like, it's not necessarily like all will fall apart without, you know, the 10th the worker. Like, that the 9 can, can do it fine or whatever. But that the, it's he is like abandoning them when when they do when they could use his help to follow like a ridiculous sounding story that he has come up with all on his own and that there's no evidence for you know what i mean like that he would do that as rather than helping them survive mhm so i think maybe that's why like they're so offended Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. No, 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 don't mistake me here. I'm not saying they shouldn't be offended. I shouldn't think that he's a fucking nitwit for doing it. <laughs> but when it boils, but pragmatically speaking, there is nothing to be lost by him going. There's nothing stopping him. This really should be written differently. And if I were doing it, I would have had it be that. Remember that spaceship they got? Keep. They keep saying they need a power source for like various facilities. Maybe they can scavenge it from that. Oh yeah. But then of course they can't use the spaceship. There's your dilemma. Job done. Yeah, that would that would have been probably. That that would have been good, more technically like effective and and correct and everything. Yeah, that's good. That would have worked. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I, I mean, when when you're starting civilization from scratch, right? Um, not to get too like in the weeds with this silly argument, because ultimately I do think you guys are right that like by the end of the episode we find out that this wasn't actually a, a real dilemma. Um, but like when you are starting civilization over. The difference between one like one person's labor, like and and not having it, like when the labor force is so small, I mean, I think it can be pretty crucial. You know, I mean, Kokoro is going to be laid up and pregnant. Ichigo could get sick and die, uh, or not Ichigo, Ikano, because she's she's looking pretty, uh, pretty worn. And Ichigo has been; she collapsed at some point in the episode. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do think like his his uh, his work. And, and effort like was kind of important and essential and you can't really take that stuff for granted when civilization has collapsed oh man well i'm coming to you then for you know to run uh, our walking dead-esque society when you know we get to that point in the future you're gonna be the village elder dog noted <laughs> we're only a few months away it's uh, looking like the zombie outbreak's <laughs> gonna happen anytime oh, now nah don't let me let me tell you guys today about the Carter prediction or the car. Anyway, I'll say that for another time. However, um, all the technical stuff about you know this you know dilemma not really being a dilemma aside, there is something that is said in this scene that just made me just took my breath away. I'm ready to hear it? Let's hear it. So, Hero says, "If Zero Two will not smile for me, <laughs> I would rather be dead." And I just thought to myself, "Holy shit, you!" absolute fucking wanker mm-hmm. where do i even fucking begin with this line it's awful it's probably the single First the off, single worst line of dialogue that the show has produced i like james you won't have heard it yet because it's not out but in frank's in our 21 podcast i basically said that this show runs against the grain of a lot of anime shows in that it doesn't tell its protagonists to be better it says that other people will be worse for them mm-hmm. that's the way it goes it's not challenging Hero to be a better person. It's challenging others to come down to his level. He's dragging people down with him. Yeah. 
And this line, to me, felt like it was doubling down on that in, in a way that just utterly blew my mind. Like, for a start, I would, ra- I would rather be dead. Uh, you know, I might as well be dead. Um, Hero, look at Zero Two. What do you think she is right now? She can't speak a queer fucking word. Exactly. Uh, yeah. She she gave her goddamn life practically to save the world. So you can't make that statement because the person you're trying to save is in that state right now. Well, and again, it reinforces that, you know, the the problem with him choosing to go into space. It isn't that he's choosing to go into space to fight the aliens to save the world for the long term. It's because he's sad that his girlfriend's in a coma. And even when he goes into space and even when the other guys go after him, at no point does it, does, do we really get the impression that he's doing this for anyone but himself. Yeah. The line specifically is, I, why won't she smile for right. me? Yeah. Me, I, my needs, my wants, not hers. No. And then you have Goro, Goro telling him, you know, and, and the camera cuts to Ichigo for this line when he says, there are people that are working their hardest and, and fighting just so that you can live. And you just don't care. And, Fucking... pe- and people root for this character, I guess. No. You can't. How? Just. My God. Like, this is the thing. Like, if this was actually contextualized, like, I mean, I've said, people have said before, like, you know, Zero to abuse him, like, and all that. And I've said as well, there is context for that. There's a difference between explaining something and excusing it. And at least with Zero Two, we got an explanation. Why Hero is the way he is when the show has gone to great lengths to say that his uniquely defining trait is his empathy. His empathy! That's right! They do bill him as, like, the great empathizer. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) when in reality, the show portrays him entirely opposite. The show wants to, you know, make him out to be a good person. But for some reason, the writers are accomplishing the exact opposite, and they're just making it worse. And like I said, you know what I said about, you know, how it will not ultimately ask him to get better, but instead will, you know, cause people to go down with him? Guess what? As James has rightly alluded to, they all decide, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll go space anyway. It's not like, you know, we've got to, you know, sort our farm or all our other present problems for all the other kids who are there. Like, you know, the ones who are laid up in bed. I'm going to save my, like, vitriol for that scene for when we when we get there. But, oh boy, I really hated the shit out of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny, J- James, you said that that was the worst. So that him saying, if she won't smile for me, I'd rather be dead, like, is the worst line of dialogue in the show. We There's a fucking, there's a hall of fame. Of terrible lines of dialogue in the show, like the previous episode, like "Thank you for creating me." That oh, one's up there. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Lucky one where hell. Hero calls Zero Two a monster. That one's up there. Well, and I mean, I think for me, what makes this one so especially bad, and, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. It's that for for just a brief moment, you really do think the show is actually self aware enough to realize that Hero is is being is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. The hero is 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 being selfish and self-centered and that the other characters are pointing this out. But in the very next scene, the characters essentially say, well, we're really just jealous that we don't have that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, 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 it's just enough to, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say yeah. to that. 
I, I know I'll say it. James, uh, for those people at home who are listening, we're doing this on Discord, and James's uh, profile is of uh, Saitama from One Punch Man <laughs> as he's, you know, saying okay in response to Boros, going like, my arm is like this and this. And that really is my face <laughs> watching this. It's the perfect it reaction really image for so many things I've discovered. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's... Yeah. Oh, man. Alright, so that whole interminable bullshit wraps up. And the kids are having a discussion outside, you know, saying, what are we going to do? Goro is sat looking at the dead flowers, the dead, you know, crops. And Ichigo comes and joins him. And I swear, like, this show is like whiplash because we go from something truly wretched to something good. Something I have been begging this show to give just at least once, which is just to simply have two characters sit the fuck down for five minutes and just talk. Holy shit. What a concept. You wouldn't think it you wouldn't think it'd be so difficult to do that, but it took twenty-two episodes. <laughs> just fucking Christ. But I really like this scene. Like one of the things I really like about the direction of this is that we see Goro like framed framing his back, right? And he's just sat down, and then after each go sits down, we get the same framing, the same angle again, but she's now sat next to him exactly. And I really liked her filling in that gap there. Like for all the fact that these two are not a couple and will probably never be, to be quite honest, like Ichigo and Goro, in my opinion, are, are without you know considering things like comic relief and all that, like Zoramir's, they they are probably the best characters in the show. Like they're the ones who actually, for the most part, act like regular human beings who have fears and anxieties, and they try and challenge each other over it. Like remember the Goro-focused episode in which he confessed his feelings to Ichigo and they just talked things out and you know said like. Let's rely on each other a little more. The halcyon days of episode nine. Well, and and can you and and it just I can just remember back when Goro said essentially, "Look, I I just want to let you know that I'm in love with you, and if you don't reciprocate those feelings, that's okay. I'm not going to push oh you. Oh my god! I'm not going. To, <laughs> I'm not going to make it awkward or a big deal. I just wanted to make sure that you were aware of how I felt about you." And Ichigo... Reminded me of that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Futoshi followed his example, right? That's what happened, right? <sighs> I, I, uh, I don't know what's going yeah, on with you... Futoshi. Like, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, well, he's, well, his girlfriend's rotted away, you know. Do-chan is no more. Do-chan! So. <laughs> does, does, uh, do, you, do you know about Do-chan, James? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so in I in one of the previous episodes, I don't remember which one it was, but Fatoshi is in the uh, the boy's bedroom, you know, the dorm room, and he's climbing out of his boat. Oh, and he has and like a baguette. He has like a, a <laughs> loaf of bread. <laughs> Why does he have a loaf of bread? Are, are you telling me that he cuts a hole in the loaf of bread? <laughs> I am telling you that's what happens because it would explain oh, yeah. so much. Heated up in the microwave first. Mm, oh, yeah. no, no, Wait, so no, no, no. Is, And when he was suffering from a quote-unquote eating disorder, what was really happening was he was so distraught about the fact that Mitsuru and and uh, Kokoro were together that he just had to hoard more food to cut holes into. Pretty much. <laughs> it's it's the, the George Costanza of this oh, show, no. bringing food into the bedroom. <laughs> It's the summer of Fatoshi. <laughs> no, it isn't. Never. No. He flew too close to the sun on wings of pastrami. So is that Nana's going to walk in on him masturbating? And yeah. then the whole... We the can whole only group, hope. 
whole group is going to have to make a bet. <laughs> is, Fatoshi, is Fatoshi's favorite film American Pie? Oh, yes. Nah. Yep, you know it. Uh, I feel like what we just discussed was like me going through the fucking Stargate in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. All right, let's get back to this actual episode before I, you know, like my I transcend and leave my earthly body. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. So, no, um, Goro and Ichigo, you know, they're discussing what's going on. I really like this conversation. I like that they actually had it for Christ's sake. Like, it's overlaid with a really nice montage of all the other characters, you know, having their own anxieties, including Nana, um, who... She's been wheelchair-bound, but she's not actually physically, you know... She's not paralyzed or anything. She's, I think she's just... It's psychosomatic, I guess. Or perhaps just, just weak from, you know, things that she's been through? I, I can't remember if there was some see, sort of I, attack I or whatever. I thought maybe she was going through the same kind of aging process right yeah but we 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 haven't really we don't really know what that how that works and so Mm -hmm. no i i think like this scene with uh with nana is like absolutely is incredible i I was she where she gets out of the wheelchair and comforts the child yeah Uh, yeah yeah to to me this is like one of the best scenes in the whole show from a character acting standpoint because You know, you have her hearing the child crying, and her first thing to she wants to do is is go into the room to see, and she bumps the wheelchair on the door, and backs out, and that's her first time to hesitate. And so, th- this is kind of to me anyway. The message was like, maybe I'm not the right fit here for this. Like, I'm supposed to be, you know, my role is to be the adult for these kids, but I don't. I just don't know if I if I have it in me. Maybe I'm not it, the right fit. It literally is. It literally is a threshold that she has to pass herself. She has like, to, it's a, yeah, cross a line to make make effort to to stand up and go over to the child. And then, you know, when she first puts her hand on the child and pulls back, I was just like, that's that's remarkable to me because she. I feel like she's still kind of hesitating, and she can sense the depth and breadth of the suffering that this child is going through. And when you, when you see that kind of pain, you, I think, you know, that to offer comfort, you really have to commit yourself and that that pain Mm -hmm. is going to come on you as well. And you're going to feel it and it's going to be heavy and it's going to, it's going to hurt. And so she has that moment of hesitation before where she pulls back and then she, she, you know, dives into the hug yeah, so and I just oh, that was wonderful to me. That's empathy. That's yeah. real empathy, yeah. adult empathy, and it's so, yeah. it's so strange that in an episode that struggles so much to convey even a modicum of hero's empathy, even though, like you said, that's like his main character trait, in in one like one minute, two minute long scene, we get a perfect or nearly perfect representation of what it is to be empathetic. And it's difficult yeah. and it's scary and you don't know if you're going to completely fail and make things worse, but you still, you reach out a hand and you, you take someone else's hand and you try. And the show has been trying so hard to get that same message across with Hero and Zero Two, but it's just so clumsy that it, it, it rarely works. But in this one moment, it was, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, it was, it was almost breathtaking how well done it was. Yeah. I'll add as well, like, I mentioned in one of our previous casts about uh, H. Bomber Guy's idea of, you know, the person coming out of the machine. 
And Nana has been indoctrinated her entire life into, you know, not giving a shit about what the kids under her care think. She's just a military officer. And indeed, we've had many scenes of that. Like when Kokoro's, you know, saying like, but, but we don't have to pilot the Franks. We do have things like, no, no, you, that's all you're there for. So coming off that wheelchair and finally taking her own steps forward, that is her coming out of the machine in a way. That is, you know, empathy and kindness will eventually break free of, you know, those kind of, you know, controls and, you know, brainwashing even that's been inflicted on her. It's amazing what, when this show tries it to do it, it can accomplish by doing so little. And I again have to praise Noriko Sakawa's direction on this. I, you're right, James, it actually is almost tragic that it could do this in a single scene with a character who's barely been on my radar for much of the show, and indeed I thought disappeared entirely, and yet it cannot accomplish this with its main character. Like, that's just, that's just incredible. Yeah. How, like, I don't even fucking know how to classify this. Holy shit. So, um, after that montage, it's the morning after. Hero has prepped his Frank, he's got his Frank's parasite suit on, and he's going across a bridge, I don't know where, I think he's probably boarding a plane or something, and everyone's out there to grease him. And then I set this show on fire. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck, man? God, this was so disappointing. Yeah. Why just, just everyone's just gonna pick up stakes and get behind this guy and and even the nines. Th- yeah, and th- <laughs> throw away like rebuilding the earth potentially. I mean, it just like it, it, everything about it felt like so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they kind of, as you say, like hand wave it away with that Verma gonna come back for us at some point, but. You do realize, guys, that if you don't get a proper food supply going and, you know, stabilize your civilizations at the moment, Verm can sit and wait. This is what I said. They can literally kick back. Like, they wasted millennia to come and get the Klaxosaurs a second time around. They're very patient, these guys, you know. So, you might want to do that. Also, just as a nitpicky question here, the Franks, like, because that's what they're going to take into space with them. How do they intend to fight in space with the Franks? Because they don't have jump jets or zero g shit or anything like that we've never seen that i'm sure i'm sure dr franks has something in like a back room that you can just like pop out of franks like oh by the way i also before i died made these space rockets yeah another email attempted you know set to trigger after i died and also after you launched the rocket dr franks why do they look like lingerie don't ask questions just put them on the robots (laughs) oh dude oh my god yeah, it's mine. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Maybe they'll board the giant Verm shit. I, who the fuck knows? We'll figure it out at some point. I mean, I guess I guess the, there will be technically people on Earth if they unthaw the kids and Nana and Hachi oh, take yes, care of them. Oh, yes, that's right. But... Well, that's how they're going to do it, know, yeah. I don't know. Well, and they did say... I mean, didn't they say they had enough food for like a year? For a so, year, right? For, I know. guess as long as they don't take too long get the Mars and back, then... <laughs> Make it a quick trip. <laughs> I know, classic, classic space in anime, you know, space is really big, unless it's an anime, in which case it's like nipping around the block, you know? I mean, at least they did do the gravitational slingshot thing, so that's something, I Well, and, I mean, they're within the solar system, so at the very least, like, I can I can buy that they could get there within a, you know, a short enough time span. It's not like in another galaxy or something. Yeah, that's true. So do you guys like the Nines accompanying them on this journey? No. I question why they're even bothering. Like... The Nines are in such a bad state that they'll probably die on the way there. Mm-hmm. 
Furthermore, if you know you need pairs to part the Franks, why are three of them going? What's the third one going to do? Uh, just insult them. Insult Squad 13, as they've been doing throughout On the it, show. It would, it would not surprise if it turns out the Nines are going to do one last backstabbing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, it's it's such like a throwaway. I mean, really, it just makes me think that the writers have no idea what to do with the characters. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, we might as well just let them have like one last hurrah in space and redeem themselves and... You know, I don't know. The the nines have been such such wastes of characters. I mean, they've been completely pointless. Yeah. Um, because because mm-hmm. I mean, really, the only effect they've had on the plot is to sow seeds of discontent between Ichigo and Zero Two, which were immediately resolved, and to interrupt the whole wedding thing. And oh, again, now and and I I don't want to get sidetracked. But the only reason they had to interrupt the wedding was because, <clears throat> pardon me, was because Hachi and Nana were letting the, the wedding happen because the whole, our group of parasites were a part of Dr. Franks' experimental group. Mm-hmm. Now, we've never learned, to my knowledge, what or why or how they were an experimental group. Um, at first, we thought that they were maybe the only ones that were allowed to go through puberty, but then the show explained that you have to go through puberty to be able to pilot the Franks, so that can't be true. Um, so I have no idea why that was yeah. in there. And to my mind, they could have cut that plot entirely had Hachi and Nana be the ones who are against Zero Two, you know, being there. And then they could have gotten rid of the Nines altogether. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I fail to see what role they've served in the story even up to now, outside of just being jerks. And um, and this scene at the end just kind of confirmed that man, they're just there. They're the Gary Oaks of this show. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The ex- the experimental like like what Frank's is trying to accomplish. It was, it was a very good point. Like because I feel like so. One time it was said that they are the only squad to go through puberty together. And I don't know what material difference that makes, you know, among squads. If some go through puberty at different times, like what is that? Like, I don't see, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so maybe I'm just not seeing the importance of the variable there. And I think the the only other thing that he said about it directly was that he's trying to like learn about, about sex and reproduction or something? Wait, wasn't wasn't the experimental control, even though the show contradicts itself on this, the fact that they were allowed to have their emotions while the others were not? That was the thing that I thought. That was. I think so. I think that's true as well. But then again, but then again, Frank's contradicts himself in his fucking flashback, I know. which he made, you know didn't explain jack shitly shit. So go figure. That I think is the idea they had. You know, let them have their own emotions, so that he can learn about human love or whatever. Like how it used to be. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. Sorry, I have to do that. Burl. Okay, so we'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> we, it, sorry, James, but it is, a, it is a mandate for our show that we try and get at least one karaoke segment in per episode. Look, it's, it's in my personal opinion that no uh, piece of media is worthwhile unless it's a musical. So you know, <laughs> <clears throat> we're just checking off boxes here. <laughs> oh my god, what would Frank's the musical be like? Um, jeez. Your love is like bad medicine. Bad medicine. Well, that would be the song. <laughs> It'd be a bunch of early Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> <laughs> It'd just be Rome, the Romeo and Juliet song over and over 
and over and over. Yep. Every episode. It'd be it'd be Rebecca Black's debut album. Uh. <laughs> uh. Uh, okay. So yes, everyone's going into space except for Mitsu and Kokoro. Oh really? I didn't catch that. Yeah. They're staying uh, behind. Okay. Okay. I yeah, I, I, I totally thought they were going with. Yeah, Kokoro's not wearing a parasite suit, you see, and then Mitsuru's not either. So well, well, if they did look up, you know, history about pregnancy, you know, don't fly, don't travel into space, probably would have been in that document. That's true. Yeah. Although, that being said, I know how bad this show's written is Kokoro probably starts smoking at this point. <laughs> like, just knocking back. God, <laughs> that would just hurt me. That would hurt me so deeply. Uh, that would be that would be fucking shocking. But I'm, I'm actually glad, not for the reasons of, you know, because I care that much about the characters, but I'm glad because at least it cuts off the space abortion thing that james suggested that they are staying because it means that they're pretty much safe yeah like you know in the deadpool in the deadpool now they're they've they've got out they're free they're good i mean they won't there will be no point in sending meets up there anyway because obviously he doesn't have his frank's partner although again i question why they're sending an odd numbered you know number of nines up there but well i don't know someone's someone's gotta fly well, while guess, they fight <laughs> does ikuno have a partner oh no she has futoshi now futoshi yeah Unfortunately. That's right. Okay. For some reason, I thought maybe they'd have a, a singled out partner, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess Hero would exactly. need. So- I guess with Zero oh, yeah, Two no, not there, right. Hero would need someone to pilot with, or one of them would need someone to pilot with until they get Zero Two back. So maybe. Unless they just plan to, yeah. Maybe, maybe they just plan to ship him to Star. Hero and Alpha, yeah. baby. <clears throat> yeah, Hero Nine Alpha. Let's yeah. do it. Oh God! If they do that though. No, like. The fuck? Oh, that's going to be a fucking... Grab those handles. <laughs> no, no, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just trying to, trying to, you know, untangle, like, you know, what that would mean for the show's gender politics at this point. Because, again, like I've said before, like, you know, if you need a, a guy and a girl, it's part of the Franks. Well, I think... How do you fuck do you... But how never, the fuck I mean, do you they never explain how the Nines could pilot them in the reverse style anyway. Uh, unless them being clones of Zero Two... I, I think that's what it was. Is but that they're why? they're made from, <laughs> from the queen's DNA? But why? Twice removed. I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, it doesn't matter because with the verm, like the carpet has been pulled out from under, or the rug, sorry, has been pulled out from under. Uh, all the fucking that's, political yeah, messaging has been true. jettisoned into the sun. Yeah, I think like, at this yeah, point, it's not. I don't think they're going to make any meaningful. Any, I don't think any any of that's going to really get developed or expanded upon in these final episodes. I think they said pretty much everything they wanted to say with Kokoro's arc. Final final thing I'll ask is, are they not taking Zero Two with them? I mean, she's not going to be able to do anything, but you do need to like you know put the soul back in the body. Oh, so, right, that's oh, right. Did, yeah, that, did they that one? Did they show Zero Two with them at the end at all? I didn't think they did. Nope. Hero's going solo on this one. She's uh, she's just in a suitcase. It's okay. What? What does he plan to do? Download her soul onto a fucking floppy disk? Is he going to put it on the cloud? Like, what's the game plan here? Take take it with you. You know, maybe a maybe a hero's going to have to sacrifice himself to to. Yay! Then, I'm in with that. But then Zero Two's still going to be on Earth, so she'll get her her brain back. But she'll also be space pregnant, um, and she'll have a baby um, because. Hero's love managed to restore her ability to procreate. They're finally, oh thereby, shit! They're making to- her a complete whole woman. That's totally happening. Pencil that shit in. That is happening. <laughs> no, that pencil is the last out. thing they're gonna no, say. No, no, pencil that shit out because I already don't like it. Fuck! Like, it's a miracle. <laughs> 
miracle. A Christmas miracle. Hero. Uh, did, did we literally say that Hero was anime Jesus? So, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Did, hey. And she's going to name she's going to name the baby Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or Lace where Trady's a second. <laughs> Holy shit. Fucking hell. Well, they'll have Eve uh, and Mitsu and Koku uh, can have uh, Adam. And oh, there you go. No. There you go. No. Welcome to Earth. Yeah, with an F. <laughs> Je- Je- Jeff Goldblum shows up and uh, life, uh, life has a way. Life finds a way. Oh. <laughs> did, did we say in a previous episode that perhaps what they did with the nines or possibly zero two was filling the DNA with a frog? That's right, the <laughs> West African frog that can change sex at will. <laughs> Dino DNA. Dino, yes. Is that little DNA guy, uh, is he ape? Is he a member of ape? <laughs> <laughs> He's so firm. Mr. DNA, how do you affirm? Uh, all right, well, kids. the final boss. We can't have any of that uh, heterosexual marriage now. <laughs> Again, A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that would save this show, like, if it turned out that was the case. It's all a Jurassic World tie-in. Dr. Frank's, like, somewhere to cut to him, and he just says, spared no expense. He's dressed like Dr. Hammond. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, that is the end of episode 22, Stargazers. Woo-wee! That was, uh, again, it's starting in the Franks at this point. Like, you know, every every single episode is like a trial by fire. Although this one was better, admittedly. Mm-hmm. It had this, higher this highs one... and lower lows, I think. That's fair. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Indeed, I would probably have actually quite liked the episode overall had they... Well, I mean, they needed to resharpen and refine a couple of things, in my opinion. But if they just ejected Hero's fucking lines... I would have probably liked this episode a lot more. Yeah. Um, so, James, uh, here on Warrior Death Show, we do uh, give our, you know, post more some scores here out of five, and you can be as granular as you like. So, out of five, how would you rate this episode? I'm going to go ahead and say probably 2.5, straight down the middle. Um, I think the Goro stuff and the survival stuff is gen- generally pretty good. Um, and like like you said, there are scenes with Nana and... Um, and the other characters that, that verge to or actually succeed at being great. Um, but every, everything with Hero and the Nines, I think I would lump into All of that's just bad. It's it's just lame, gross, dumb writing. And so I think there's just as much to dislike about this episode as there's to like about it. So 2.5 for me. Fair enough. And uh, Doctor, how about you? Uh, I'm going to give it 3.25 dead crops out of 5. Uh, you know, much like you just said, James, like the highs for me were very, very high. And in isolation, I think there's a lot to like about this episode. But, you know, it is part of the show and has to shuffle along the overall plot of the show. And I think that's part of what uh, really dragged it down for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's this, this point in the show is run like we're dealing with all the stuff that came before. So, you know. It's too late now to contextualize away Hero's stupid fucking, you know, selfish behavior. If they'd have done that earlier in the show throughout the entire episode. I mean, I have to say, that something I forgot to mention is I very strongly get the idea or the impression that this is meant to be a callback to Ava, specifically Hero of Shinji. I think that's the intent, but the execution, like, I mean, my complaint with Ava, amongst other things, was I don't feel that I personally got enough context of Shinji's relationship with Gendo in order to, you know, make heads or tails of his behavior. 
But we got some. I understood that that was present. I understood that there was a bad history between the pair of them. There's nothing at all in this show to contextualise away heroes fucking rancid behaviour despite indeed the show completely ignores it as far as it's concerned you know Busser wouldn't melt on him so you gotta put all your Ava takes on ice along with the the kids until you rewatch it this is true it's been too long (laughs) it has it has so okay for me I am gonna actually match James's score and I'm gonna give it two and a half you know eight branded shovels out of five (laughs) beautiful Basically for the same reasons, like, you know, as, as Doc and James Lee. So I think that I have, again, have to, though, praise the direction of this episode. I'm very glad that Noriko Takawa came back. I honestly, you know what, I'll, if there's one thing I'll take away from this episode outside of it, I hope she gets more work. Yeah, I get the sure. feeling there's a real talent there. Behind, she's got real, real skill with this. And a real idea of how to make the best with the material that she's got. As far as the visuals and directing goes, um, this show's going to look great on everyone's CVs. It's... Uh, outside of a couple of clunky sequences in, in the past four or five episodes, it's been pristine, mostly, as far as the visuals are concerned. <clears throat> yeah, especially given the show's trouble production. Yeah. So I I hope that if nothing else, like, you know, again, that she goes on to give her her own show. Just, just I'd say do that. Give her her own show. That would be amazing. Uh, People liked Idol Master, right? Like, Idol Master, like, Asking me to, like, you know, rate or understand Idol Master <laughs> is like asking someone who's lactose intolerant to drink milk and then tell you how good it is. Well, I wouldn't, the milk is. I wouldn't personally <laughs> go that far, but it is a world I'm unfamiliar with. I guess I'm saying, like, she she did get to direct, you know, a couple seasons of an Idol Master property. So, um, so yeah, I hope this just, like, continues to make the case uh, for her to to be given prominent creative roles. I hear you on that. But anyway, folks, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Uh, I want to say, before we go any further, to firstly thank you, James. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come join us um, as a guest on Stream of Thought. It's been an absolute delight and a pleasure to have you here, along with your insights and your wit. Thank you so much. Hey, the pleasure has been mine. I, I, uh, I am more than happy to uh, converse about anime with a couple of intelligent and uh, witty fellows. So this has been a very Aww. fun time. So. What are you doing here then? <laughs> hey! Uh-huh. Well, well, we'll certainly keep you know your phone number on our books here in case we, you know we've got another guest slot coming up for a future show. Certainly, um, totally. James, would you do me a favor and tell uh, our lovely audience here uh, where they might find you on Twitter, where they can look up your works and your written projects? Yeah, um, on Twitter I am at Kick the Beckett. That's uh, Kick the Beckett with two T's at the end. Uh, my blog is kickthebeckett.wordpress.com. I mostly just relink to the stuff that I've published on on Anime News Network for now, but I'm hoping to expand that into the future. And if you don't want to uh, to bother with a WordPress blog, then you're more than welcome to go to Anime News Network, where you can find pretty much all of the writing I'm doing as of now, as far as episodic reviews, uh, DVD reviews, series reviews, and the like. Excellent. And uh, my good friend, Sol- the Soul Doctor, would you very kindly tell the audience where they can find you? Indeedy. So, uh, like always, at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter to talk uh, anime, video games, wrestling, other assorted nerderies. Hit me up. Excellent. You can find me, folks, at Shade and Ted Ted on Twitter if you want to talk to me about fighting games or games about fighting or fighting or games or the games with fighting thereof. Uh, and anime. That's just one of them. And anime, yeah. And British and politics. You know, <laughs> yelling a lot about British politics. No, 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 please. <laughs> Please. So, uh, about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the that's 
That's the way to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Worried Show. <laughs> oh, we would have to slip that fucking word in here, wouldn't we? Like, Jesus Christ. But anyway, uh, until next time, folks, we'll return, of course, with episode 23 of Darling the Franks. We're finally in the home stretch. Uh, but from me, uh, from Doc, and from James, I hope you have a very good evening. And as always, embrace each other, everyone, until the end of the universe. Mwah. Bye-bye. Thank you.